Hi, and welcome to The Unveiling. I'm Tim, one of the hosts, and along with Ajay and Mark, we are three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you're encouraged by this episode. Let's dive right in. Welcome back, everybody, to The Unveiling with Ajay, Mark, and Tim, as pretty much usual. This is episode 52. The title of this episode is Jesus is God. That's an interesting statement to make because I've been told by several people and I've looked it up. uh, Nowhere in the Bibles does Jesus say, quote, I am God, unquote. Now, there are, uh, we're going to go through a lot of proofs of what Jesus said about himself that indicate that he is God. But uh, I'm glad that it was Jesus and not me playing the role because I think I'd wake up every morning going, I'm awake, I'm alive, I'm God. (laughs) So um, maybe it's a good thing I didn't get that title. Uh, I do want to start off with a quick story about Jesus and his disciples. This is from Mark 8, starting at verse 27. Uh, Jesus was out with the disciples in the the towns of Jerusalem. Caesarea and Philippi, and as as they're walking around, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, They say you're John the Baptist. They say you might be Elias. Some of them say you're a prophet. And Jesus looked at them and said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, being the bold one, jumped up and said, "Uh, Thou art the Christ. And that's a title with a lot of meaning that includes God in it, as far as I know. Jesus never said, I am God. So, Mark, what did Jesus call himself? Well, um, let me let me answer that. He never said, I am God, but he got pretty close to saying, I am God. And his listeners had no doubt what he was saying. Well, we're going to get to that. I just want to share a quick little anecdote. The first time I ever heard Jesus is God, I must have been a believer for about, oh, probably coming on close to a decade. I'd gone to church and read Christian books. Never heard anybody say that until I went to a Christian concert and the singer was wearing a T-shirt that said, Jesus is God. And I remember feeling shocked because I had never heard that. And I'm just wondering how many believers out there today were like me, that as we, as they read the name of this podcast and they hear us talking about Jesus as God, what percentage of them don't realize that that's what the Bible clearly teaches? So we're going to hopefully help you to see the same thing that uh, we all came to see uh, through Scripture. So to set a little context, I want to talk about when God first revealed his name. Now, this most of us know the story of when he sent Moses to Pharaoh to uh, rescue his people, Israel, from captivity. And when he told Moses, I'm going to send you, he said, well, he said, um, who am I to say who sent me? What's your name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Okay, now that's different. There are many names for God in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, but that's God's personal name. It's like Ajay, it's like Tim, it's like Mark. 
That's his personal name. He gave it to Moses. And with one thing that I've never heard taught before, but I found this out when I read Exodus uh, 3.15, he gave a command with that when he gave his name. He said, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So what I don't understand is how Israel took that and we know that that uh, that through Moses, soon after this, after Israel came out of Egypt, God gave them the law. Okay, well, He told them to call them by His personal name, I am. That was a command, not just you, but teach it to your kids from generation to generation. And what they did is they made a rule, another law that said, you are not allowed to speak God's personal name. That was the rule uh, for people that were Jewish. And even beyond that, they said, you're not allowed to even write the name. So what I love about God giving his personal name is it shows his heart for relationship and the whole reason he sent Christ, but that he gave us his personal name. Why do you think he did that? I would say because he wants us to be on that intimate relationship to know his personal name. But mankind, in his bent toward religion, even took that and did just the opposite of it in the name of religion, even though God had commanded them to do that. So the reason I go to this length to tell you this is, Israel would not speak that name. It became part of their religion to neither speak it nor write it. And that name in Hebrew is Yahweh. And if you spoke that, it was capital punishment. You would be stoned to death. And I sent you guys a clip this week of the old Monique Python clip from Life of Brian, where it's on. It's a scene where somebody had said God's name, and they're trying to stone him. And it's actually hilarious. If you haven't seen that, please go take a look at that after the podcast. So anyway, that's the context. Uh, God had given Moses his personal name, said, I want you to call me this forever from generation to generation. But Israel took it and put it in their religion and made it so that you're not allowed to speak it, not even allowed to write it. Capital offense. Okay, so in John 8, 56 through 59, Jesus is in a discussion, debate, argument, being attacked by the Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law and scribes. And he says this to them because they call themselves the children of Abraham. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, you're not 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, Verily, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, here's what their reaction. The minute he said that, there were no doubts about what he was saying. He was using the personal name of God for himself. And they say, at this, they picked up stones to stone him. There was no doubt in their minds. In fact, they were going to kill him for calling himself God. So though, no, he never said the, the three words, I am God. He used God's personal name about himself. And one little tidbit here, according to Bible scholars, Abraham's death came 1,767 years before Jesus' birth. 
So 18 centuries later, Jesus is saying that Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing his day. And, and so that's just, when he said that to these, to these Pharisees, they're like, he's making these statements about himself that he predates Abraham even though he's living right here now and he's not even 50. So to me, that's one of the most powerful uh, proofs, Jesus calling himself by God's name. So Mark, that's a good point. You know, that's not the only time he did it. Um, in his trial before the Sanhedrin, Jesus uh, was charged with blasphemy because of his response to the high priest's question, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus responded, and this is in Mark 14, 62, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. There's not really two ways of understanding that, are there, Ajay? Yeah, I was going to bounce off that uh, name, I am. It's interesting that um, Jesus said, he did not say before Abraham was, I was. He said, you know, it's kind of a grammatically not a correct statement. Before Abraham was, I am. See, only God can say that, you know, God is a eternal being. Time does not apply to him. So he said, I am. He is always there. And only God is always there. And he's an eternal being. And his name is I am. So I just wanted to quickly point that out. Yeah. That's a great point. And even, I think, further backs up that when Jesus said, I am, because it wasn't the correct tense for in human terms, that he was using God's personal name. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, talking about, you know, Jesus is God, I think, uh, um, Mark, you know, to your point, many Christians don't uh, really think through this and realize until maybe later in their born-again life, because most of the time, um, Bible says, you know, in order for you to be born again, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In 1 John 4, 15, it says, Whosoever confesses that Jesus is Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So, Bible doesn't specifically say, call for, you know, you need to call Jesus God to be born again, but it says you need to confess him as a Son of God. But the thing is, you know, people... In their minds, they believe Jesus is Son of God, but again, you know, they don't intuitively connect that, you know, Son of God is actually God. He is God himself. So for, I think many Christians believe for a while Jesus is Son of God, but they may not necessarily think that uh, Jesus is God. Uh, but, you know, of course, in the Trinity, it's not like, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three separate entities they're the same entity in a uh, relationship to one god in three persons so in that father son's relationship um, son of god is god and again you know if god begets something it has to be god right just as a son of man is a man and a human being a son of god has to be god even from that perspective jesus is god but i think it's interesting you raise it until many many years in your christian life uh, you did not uh, um, realize or just thought through that, you know, Jesus is God. So I'm thinking, you know, many Christians believe Jesus is son of God, but they may not um, understand that he's also God. Well, it's a very difficult concept for humans to wrap their minds around that that something can be three things and still be one thing, you know. So we refer to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all God. 
they're all, you know, if I try to put words onto it, it's going to make it even probably more difficult to understand. But I kind of think of each one of them as an aspect of God, but they are still all fully and completely God. Jesus is, you know, our Savior, and the Spirit is our comforter and friend and lives in us, and God is the Father in heaven, and yet all of them all the same. It's not, an, you know, the Trinity is not an easy concept. Yeah, one God in three persons, you know. God can reveal himself in uh, whichever way you want, but he is one God eternally existing in three persons. And the Bible calls it the Godhead. I think it's important, you know, there's an important uh, truth there. God is not alone. He is not lonely. And he did not create us, you know, because he was alone and he wanted more people. He was even before we were created, he is existing in a family, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and in an eternal love relationship. And the beauty of our salvation is God is inviting us into this Trinity. The family of Trinity, he's saying, okay, let us make man in our own image, right? The reason he said is, you know, he wanted to have a relationship, you know. Even though we are not God, we can relate to God in the same manner, you know, with the same love, with the same ability to choose, the same ability to think. These are all attributes of God. And he says, let us make man um, in our own image. And the reason for that is he is inviting us into the Trinity, into the Godhead. So at any point of time, right, you know, we are not alone. We are in a crowd, you know, three is crowd, right? So <laughs> we are with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are never alone. It's such a comforting thought. We don't understand. But at minimum, we are always with four people living in us, with three people living in us. Well, when you say he made us in his image, I think we are Trinity as well. We're mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. So we have we have our own Trinity that we are made up of. And you said, to, and just to hearken back here a moment, uh, John 10, 30 says, I and the Father are one. The Father is God. I'm God. If, you know, that's that's pretty plain and straight right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to stick to the Trinity thing too long here, but so, uh, Mark. Yeah. Mark, what have you got to bring to the table? Well, I want to just spend a little time. We've already talked about what uh, men have said about him, and we've talked about what he said about himself, using God's personal name for himself. I find a lot of scriptures that attributed what only deity, like characteristics that only deity could could possess. Um, so a couple of those are Mark 2, 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? One of the things I love here, as much as Different denominations and religions have debated whether Jesus was God or not. Some thought he was a prophet or a great teacher. His contemporaries, including his opponents and enemies, they knew exactly who he was saying he was. There were no two ways about it. They didn't have to debate anything because he would say that he's God in either by attributing God's attributes that can only belong to God to himself or using his personal name. Here they're saying he's blaspheming. Who He's saying that he's forgiving sin, but only God can do that. So there's really not two ways 
to uh, to interpret that. Did you guys want to chime in on that one? Yeah, that is true, Mark. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, when you look at it, right, there's nowhere ever a human being just randomly saying, your sins are forgiven. And there was a procedure and the process for forgiveness of sins. They know God was holy and then there has to be a sacrifice. And only on the Day of Atonement, when they went through the proper procedures, their sins are forgiven. And only as we discussed, only for that year, the sins were covered. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the concept was covering. It's called the atonement. And there was no taking away of sins. Forgiveness means not necessarily just covering your sins, but actually sending them away. And this man comes on the scene and randomly says, son, your sins are forgiven you. So clearly it is an indication that he is taking an authority and he is elevating himself above a human being to God to say that, hey, your sins are forgiven. You know, to me, that's one of the proof concepts of Jesus being God and the entire basis of Christianity. Christianity wouldn't exist if he wasn't God. And if he isn't God, then there is no Christianity because uh, if he's not God, his death wouldn't be sufficient to pay the penalty for the sins of the world, right? Because nothing was nothing was sufficient to that point for more than a period of time. So if Jesus isn't God, then then that sacrifice isn't sufficient for the forgiveness of sins and the salvation that we've been promised. Uh, my next example here uh, is in Matthew chapter 12. And, we're, you know, we find out in another one of the laws that God gave to Israel was they had to rest on the Sabbath, the seventh day was a time of rest. He instituted, it was his command that they lived by. Well, in chapter 12 of Matthew, once again, we find uh, uh, his arch nemesis, <laughs> the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious types, uh, yelling at him and accusing him because he and his disciples were walking through a grain field and were picking some grain, rolling in their hands and eating it. And they're saying, hey, you're breaking the law. God said you, that's considered work. You cannot do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you know, uh, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, wait a minute. God instituted the Sabbath. He's the only one who gets to say what you can do on the Sabbath and what you can't. So there's another divine attribute. He's the Lord of a command that God gave because he gave it himself, really. And uh, here's, a, here's a quick one I love here. It says in John 17, 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He's saying he antedated creation. He was with the Father before the world began. That's not a man who can do that. That's God. He was there before the creation of the world. So, Mark, you know, I want to, again, bounce off of that one, right? He was before all things. So we have been, uh, you know, deducing or, you know, based on certain scriptures, we are saying that, okay, only God could say that. Man cannot say that, right? So far, we have given some examples. Now, I also want to make a logical argument as to why Jesus is God, based on what you just said. In uh, in uh, John 1, 3, it says, right? 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. I am going to read it again. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was that has been made. Everything was created by Jesus. Nothing was created without him. If Jesus was a created being, he had to create himself because nothing was created without him. That means he had to exist before he existed, which is an impossibility. And if he created all things, he must be before all things. Only God before only God is before all things, and that makes Jesus God. And the like you said, you know, in Colossians one seventeen it says, "He is before all things." and in him all things hold together if if you don't mind i would like to jump back a couple of verses and read that whole or not i'm not going to read the whole passage i'm just going to cite some of it but uh it, john 1 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god in this particular case the word word in that passage means jesus yeah so in the beginning was jesus and then in verse 4 it said and the word became flesh Jesus. Yep. You know, and then on to the verse that you said. So yeah, that whole passage just seems to enforce and reinforce his deity. That's a great point. Let me let me just tag one thing, Ajay, then I'll kick it to you. If you went one more line there, Tim, where after the word became flesh and made his dwelling, he says, We have seen the glory of the one and only Son. So this whole thing it gets confusing to some that don't understand the word with a cup capital W is one of the things that Jesus is called. That's one of his names. But he clears it up for us here when he says the word became flesh and he's the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Just wanted to tag that in there just to kind of prove to people because that's a little cryptic. The word was God. The word was with God. But the word just means the son, Jesus. There's another scripture in the Bible, right, that says exactly the same thing in a more clear manner. Whatever we are trying to deduce, it plainly says it in 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up unto glory. So here it is actually talking about our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it says, God was manifest in the flesh. Like in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. And here plainly it says, you know, God was manifest in the flesh, calling Jesus God. That's awesome. So let me just finish up with one more attribute here that is... um attributed to God to Jesus as God it said after Je- this is John 17:11 after Jesus said this he looked toward heaven and prayed father the hour is come glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him well there's two attributes there he has authority over all people, past, present, and future. Who else has all authority over every human being ever other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And he has the power to give life, eternal life. And in John, John 1, 4 says, in him was life. That's another divine attribute. Not that he just gave life, but he was life. You know, we talked about that uh, on a couple of uh, episodes past, but 
Um, all these attributes have never been given to another person that walked this earth. And just to just to review them, they were in him was life, uh, that he was before creation, that he is Lord of the Sabbath, and that he has power to forgive. All those attributes can only belong to deity. I want to. I want to just. Uh, you said John one one. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And if you go down just another paragraph, it says, "The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him." Now, I mean, there are a ton of scriptures we could use that talk about everything being made and not only just made, but continually sustained by his powerful word. I don't know, Mark, as long as, as much as we've been reading John one, maybe we should just take the next 20 minutes to read the whole chapter. <laughs> That's an awesome chapter, Tim. <laughs> yep. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm sorry, Ajay. Yeah. Yep. So there is one more scripture where again, it cle- clearly plainly says Jesus is God. He is in after his resurrection uh, the story of doubting Thomas, right? You know, when Jesus apl- uh, appeared the first time, he was not there among the crowd. And when they told him we saw Jesus, he did not believe. So I'm going to quickly read, you know, John chapter 20 from verse 24. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails have been, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were once again inside with the doors locked, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas replied, My Lord, my God. So again, it's very, very clear that he called Jesus God, not only Lord, but he also called him God. That That's a great point, Ajay. And it leads up to my next thesis, for lack of a better word, is that Jesus not only was worshipped, and I found, when I searched this, I found over a hundred verses of angels people worshiping God. And that was one great, one great uh, point there. And the, and the other point that's even more powerful than the fact that Thomas worshiped him as God is that he received that worship. Now, Jesus came to perfectly fulfill the righteous requirement of the law on our behalf. If he was not God, he just broke a major, a number of major commandments, and he would not have been worthy to die for us. He would not have been an unspotted, blameless lamb if he was not God and accepted worship. Um, that's the second commandment. Uh, and, you know, it also breaks, it breaks, thou shalt have no God before me. It breaks, uh, you know, don't worship idols. Um, that's what that would have been. So, okay. Now, this will help Ajay because it's one of his favorite books. It's from Hebrews 1.6. And this is actually God speaking about his own son. And it says, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, right there, that's awesome. That's God the Father telling his angels to worship his son. And all the, I mean, what a clear, clear 
mandate that this son of mine is part of the deity. He's God like I am. That's my boy. Let's put it that way, right? And then it goes on to say, but about the son, God says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. So here's God speaking to Jesus, calling him God. Your throne, O God. Which is, man, this, all this stuff is a mystery because we don't see anything like this in the human realm, you know. But this is God the Father calling his son God. That's awesome. So just to conclude that Jesus was worshipped by men, by angels, was even addressed as God by the Father. Just that final point that the, beside dying for us, Jesus came to live for us, to perfectly fulfill the righteous requirement of the law on our behalf. If he allowed men and angels to worship him and he was not God, then he would not have perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. In fact, he would have broken a bunch of commandments and we have no savior. But thank you, Jesus, that you are God and that you came for us. So I, I started by saying that, um, you know, the story of Jesus asking the disciples, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And I didn't really answer the question who the disciples say he was. They didn't answer him right then and there with these words. But throughout their writings, there are a lot of places where they define him uh, as to who they believed him to be. Um, the apostles identified Jesus as divine. Um, the apostle Peter described Jesus as our God and savior in second Peter one, one, and again in Titus two thirteen, And he called on believers to honor Christ. The Lord is holy in first Peter three fifteen. Uh, Jesus's own half brother, James, who was an unbeliever at first, described him as the Lord of glory in James two, one and first Corinthians two, eight. And there were, I could probably pull up, you know, half a dozen more without even breathing hard. But the the disciples are the people that lived with him day in and day out, and they, you know, they learned from him. He taught them. They knew who he was. They they experienced him. They knew him as God. Do you think that translates today? Do we do we as Christians? know him as God? Is this something that, I mean, we've pulled out a lot of verses. We've talked a lot of pieces about this. I guess the point is, why, why, why does this matter? And I think I touched on it earlier when I said, if Jesus wasn't God, then his sacrifice wouldn't be enough. But do you think people today in the church believe that Jesus is God? I think most of them do, Tim, but I think maybe some of them unconsciously don't think through this. Like I said before, you know, most people think Jesus is Son of God because that's what we confess in our salvation. But I think it takes some time to uh, understand Jesus is also God. Typically, you know, when we say God, I think in Christians, they default to God the Father. And uh, when we say Son, they default to Jesus. And again, from the for the Holy Spirit, I think most people don't even think about it, even though the Holy Spirit that is doing all the work in us, but Holy Spirit is also equally God, and Jesus is equally God. As we discussed, all three persons of uh, the Trinity are God, but I think uh, maybe most Christians don't 
actually sit back and think and uh, realize that Jesus is also God they might be intuitively or subconsciously knowing that but i think most people are not conscious of that that's my opinion i might be wrong but mark do you want to feedback on that one at all i love what you said there aj most of them probably don't sit back and think about the fact that jesus is god and if there's one thing the unveiling is about it's sitting back and thinking <laughs> contemplating pondering reflecting chewing on meditating on and i think you know I met a pastor a couple of weeks ago who said his life changed. He felt like he was born again, again, when he started to meditate and like think of the ramifications of scripture, not just memorize it or know it, but really sit back and think, as Ajay said, just the ramifications that Jesus was actually God, deity, those are like mind-blowing. <laughs> so I would just encourage us all just to keep thinking about this stuff and getting deeper into it because I think it is life-changing and can transform us. Well, I'm going to add one last small thing here before I turn it over to you guys for summaries. So be thinking while I'm talking. The book of Hebrews, the first chapter, has probably some of the densest references to the deity of Christ in the smallest patch of verses. Uh, in the first 10 verses of the first chapter of Hebrews, Jesus he identifies Jesus as superior to any prophet, above the angels, worthy of our worship, and the creator of all things who is unchangeable. Just those first 10 verses. So that's a pretty concise, compact. If you want to read through that, you know, and and meditate on something, I would suggest I suggest starting there and then working your way out. But guys, we are starting to run out of time, so it's time for me to start asking for roundups and summaries. Ajay, why don't you kick it off for us? Yeah, so I might give away a little bit, but I, if someone just listens to this part, this episode and doesn't listen to others, you know, I wanted to make this point that Jesus is not only 100% God, he's also 100% man. You know, we'll talk more about it probably in the future episodes, but I want to make that point because... He became a sinless, sinless human being as a sacrifice to die on the cross because God cannot die, right? You know, and and we were not God, you know. God, Jesus identified with ourselves as a human and he became the perfect sacrifice to uh, die for our sins. We will go more into that probably in the next episode, but I just wanted to make that point. He is perfectly God and he's also perfectly man. That is a mystery. One of the, we talked about this before, there are uh, three mystical unions in uh, Bible. You know, one is uh, the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we have this unity um, um, between uh, uh, God and man. You know, we become one with, uh, the John uh, 17 talks about, right? You know, we become one with him, you know. We are perfectly united with the Trinity through the Holy Spirit. And the third mystical unity is the union of God and man in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's a perfectly man and perfectly God. That's great, Ajay. Yes, we are going to look into Jesus is also man in the future. All right, Mark, how about you? Well, Tim, first of all, I just I love that uh, conclusion 
that you gave in Hebrews of the first 10 verses of everything the writer of Hebrews said about Jesus. That was awesome. I'm going to have to have you send me that uh, in text. Um, But it's funny because Hebrews 1 was what I was going to use for my conclusion. So you robbed my thunder just like Ajay took yours. But I'm going to read just the first four lines because you used the word earlier to define. There are some great uh, attempts by, by apostles and, and disciples of Christ to define him, to describe him. And that's a great challenge to any human being to describe the holy with our limited language. But I love in Hebrews 1, it, 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's pretty clear there, isn't it? And then finally, I just want to read you Colossians 1.15. And the Bible editors of this entitled this chapter, The Supremacy of the Son of God. And this really goes great with the Hebrews uh, verse I just read. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Well, amen. I don't know that I can top that, and I'm not going to try, but I do have one last comment, Mark. You mentioned earlier that we we sit and we think and we ponder and we uh, meditate. You forgot text. You guys text. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks. Thanks again for being here. And we hope you've been blessed. We look forward to our next episode and we will talk to you the next time. Tim again. Thanks for listening today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, we encourage you to subscribe and share our podcast with your friends and family. Our entire catalog of episodes can be found on our website at www.theunveiledgospel.com or you can listen and subscribe on most popular podcast apps. If you have any feedback or questions, you can send us an email to theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com. You can reach out to us on our Facebook page, The Unveiling Podcast, or you can leave a question or comment on our listener line at 352-398-0089. Maybe you'll hear yourself on a future episode. That's it for today. As always, God bless, and we will talk to you the next time.